Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So we're um, we're at week seven or eight. I can't think of it. Uh, class seven or eight in our uh, 2022 structured study or Dhamma study, based on my book, The Truth of Happiness. Um, we looked at uh, the the uh, right method, the Jhana method, and how that is established in four foundations of mindfulness. Uh, then we looked at what the four noble truths are and what the significance they are. Uh, and then the Eightfold Path, the fourth, the fourth Noble Truth, that, that is the path of practice that we follow to end ignorance. But we also found out last class, last Saturday's class, um, it's a very specific ignorance that we're hoping to gain Vipassana to our insight into. And it is uh, the three marks of existence of the impermanence of all things, the misunderstanding of self or the not-self characteristic anatta, and the stress and suffering or dukkha that follows from a misunderstanding of Anicca and Anatta, impermanence and not-self characteristic. Um, and so that ignorance of Four Noble Truths is the, um, the, the, the crux of the matter. It's the whole point of why we're engaged in, in Dhamma study. And the Paticca Samapada Sutta, the main sutta on dependent origination, teaches why. It teaches what, what happens from ignorance of Four Noble Truths. Um, and just before I get into this, I'm starting um, well into the chapter. Uh, this chapter or this week uh, study will be broken into two parts. I almost always do that. Uh, this week we'll look at dependent origination and next week we'll look at the second half of this chapter, uh, The Five Clinging Aggregates, which is subtitled Understanding Not-Self. And there's a few um, things that I realize might be confusing in this book and the, the uh, verbiage I use now. Uh, almost throughout this book, I use the word non-self, where uh, I more often use not-self now. I just think it's a little bit more clear. And also in this book, I use the term uh, dependent co-arising more than I use the word dependent origination, even though they mean the same thing. Um, and even as I was writing this book, I kind of struggled with what to call this to keep it relevant. And... Um, I wish I went with just dependent origination. But co-arising, I'm, I'm, I, I left that in because it's, it's a common reference. But it simply means that stress and suffering co-arises. It arises within the broader framework of simple human life. But dependent origination is more accurate because it focuses on what, what is the actual origination of this. So this is really more the uh, the importance. And Laura was here tonight, and she said that, you know, that it was the clarification between co-arising, interdependence, interconnectedness, and interbeing that was so important uh, to her, and also to me, because I was very confused, uh, uh, and probably this was the most confusing point of my so-called Buddhist studies, uh, was this idea of interbeing, or interdependence, or interconnectedness, or interbeing. Um, which when you look at all of those words and then look at the word dependence, they're completely different. Interdependence doesn't really have anything to do with dependence. 
Although, because the, the, the root word is there, we, we tend to think it's the same. And the same as interconnectedness. Interconnectedness has nothing to do with dependence. Interbeing certainly has nothing to do with dependence. And when it's looked at clearly, interbeing really is nonsense. In, we, we can't interbe as a human being with someone else or another object or event according to the Buddhist Dhamma. We can only be human beings. We don't interbe. So it's important to understand that, not to um, denigrate anybody else's belief, but to actually practice the Dhamma. We can't, have, we can't harbor the belief in interbeing or interconnectedness and understand dependent origination. They, the two are simply too contradictory. So that's the reason why I make the point. I'm going to read a little bit from uh, the book, because I know you're all reading the chapter as we go along. Um, and this is at the, uh, at the, right where I get into dependent origination. And uh, as I read it, I'm not going to read dependent co-arising, even though that's the words I'm going to say dependent origination. As one develops an understanding of the Dhamma, it is important to always be mindful of the context and intent of the teachings of the Buddha. The Buddha consistently impressed to be mindful of what he taught and why. In the Buddha's words, I teach the origination of dukkha, and the cessation of dukkha, nothing more. That's the entire Buddha's Dhamma. And many people will argue that, um, but they only argue that to, to allow for things that the Buddha didn't teach. Because when we understand that, everything comes back to Four Noble Truths. The Buddha avoided any issues that would prove to be a distraction to his stated purpose. In fact, the, the Buddha could have nearly as accurately stated, I teach the origination of, of distraction and the cessation of distraction. It is the preoccupation with stress and suffering and unhappiness that distracts one from, from awakening. You know, it was constantly looking at uh, and chasing what I feel I need to be happy or need to fulfill me or need to make me better and avoid anything that would, that would detract from my happiness or detract from me. Uh, that I spend my whole life doing and that distracts me from this present life and living this one life, li having the opportunity to live the life I'm living rather than the life that I hope I live. And that's rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. It is distraction of dukkha that prevents, that prevents liberation and freedom, liberation and freedom from ignorance. As stated in the previous chapter, there are three linked characteristics of phenomenal life, Anicca, Dukkha, and Anatta. Anicca describes the impermanent environment that a self arises in. So again, almost every application of so-called dependent origination, but always when it's being called interdependent or interconnected or interbeing or any of the other appellations that are misapplied to it, um, are also applied to it to allow dependent origination to be a creation myth, to somehow provide for physical creation. In fact, when you get into the Theravadan take on dependent origination and the Abhidhamma, which will, it can hurt if you try to read it. It's so twisted and convoluted, but it's convoluted to provide the ongoing argument, which has been going on for 2,600 years, that in the Abhidhamma presentation of dependent origination, the Buddha's teaching that how over three lifetimes, but some people will claim three eons, a human soul is born. 
Of course, just that notion is contradicted everything the Buddha taught. And yet there's elaborate explanations of how this comes to be. And it's what allowed one modern famous teacher who just passed away to conclude that the Buddha was teaching interbeing rather than understand ignorance. Again, taking license with this one sutta, which is so simple and direct, has allowed for all the corruption in modern Buddhism. Anicca describes the impermanent environment that a self arises, including the impermanent environment that allows for a corruption of the Dhamma. It, it, would, it would take impermanence to allow for that, wouldn't it? Dukkha describes the experience of self within the environment of impermanence. In other words, if, if, the, uh, if it, impermanence wasn't the def, a defining characteristic of human life, there would be no Dukkha because every single thing would be predetermined. Of course, self-awareness would also be predetermined. There wouldn't be any because there'd be nothing to be aware of. Am I making a point here? Is anybody confused? Impermanence allows for human life. So it's both, it's both the stressor and the stress relievor of human life. And, and that's why understanding impermanence, when Kandana finally got it at that profound level, the Buddha declared that he was awakened. He was now on a Kandana, the one who understands. Impermanence is both the stressor and the relievor, if I can make up a word, of human life. We have to understand it. And once we do, we are free. Anatta describes the impermanent and insubstantial nature of the self or the ego personality. Again, if that not view of self wasn't impermanent, if, if I simply acquired a conditioned view of myself that was rooted in ignorance and prone to stress and suffering, but the view itself wasn't rooted in ignorance, uh, wasn't rooted in impermanence, I couldn't extricate myself out of it through the Eightfold Path. Again, a lot of words I just used to just describe the simplicity of understanding this Dhamma understand these three marks of existence that we talked about last week in this context of ignorance and we got it. Sure. Yes, Matt? Um, that conditioned view of self, I know we're going to get into it next week, but is five-wing aggregates. Yes, yes. And again, it, what Matt is bringing up is such an important point and I'm glad you're bringing it up here. We use a term called five-clinging aggregates not because there's anything magical or mystical about the words. It's just, it, it just so is that these five aggregates describe suffering in this proper context. Most of us, especially those that have been involved in modern Buddhism, cannot help but conceptualize in magical and mystical ways everything we learn, even when it's straightforward, like the Buddhist Siddhartha Gautama's teachings. So we can't help but conceptualize and magicalize five clinging aggregates another word that I'll, I'll make up tonight um, when it just is that five clinging aggregates are form everybody knows what that is feelings everybody knows perceptions everybody knows fabrications or mental constructs everybody knows and consciousness that might be take a little bit of clarity because we want to grasp after cosmic consciousness or a grand cosmic con or a grand connected consciousness an interdependent consciousness where the Buddha teaches us no. Or a consciousness that goes on forever. Or Yes, or a consciousness that is somehow akin to a soul. When the Buddha teaches us that our consciousness is just that, it's ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. And it's not attached to anything eternal except the belief that it could be. In other words, the thought that I'm having right now is a thought that arose and passed away. There's no permanence there's no eternity to the thought. 
the only the only eternal nature of the thought is to be present for that thought because it leads to the next thought. And if I can't be present for this thought, if I can't engage in the limiting aspects of the Eightfold Path and be present for my life as my life occurs, I've lost my entire life. And I've lost the edge of eternity. And that's the, the reason why I'm saying that, thank you, Matt, that's what brings meaning to this moment. Because it's, it's accessing the, the eternal nature of my life in this moment. It's what we, we're hoping to establish by, by speculation and magical thinking, that I can establish eternity in a belief of eternity rather than the experience of eternity right here and right now. And that's why refined mindfulness is so powerful. That's why it's what the Buddha taught as the most significant thing we can ever develop because it allows us to live our life right here and right now. Dependent origination explains the process of the formation of a personality, a self, and the process of maintaining that self, this ego personality. So when it's rooted in ignorance, what we're creating is a self rooted in ignorance. Dependent origination also explains the impermanent environment that the distraction of dukkha arises and the steps necessary through heightened wisdom, heightened virtue, and heightened concentration to reverse the formation of this ego personality. Excuse me. So it's really just the process of becoming not confused. Of not becoming confused. Yes, that's right. And, it's, and that's the right way to put it, not becoming confused. Because what we're doing in ignorance is becoming confused. Hence the reference to the word becoming, and it's an important reference because it's up to us what we're going to become in this moment. And it's only in this moment that we can choose what we're going to become. A mind distracted always thinks that they can resolve becoming in the, in the past by being stuck in the past and projecting into the future. And that's why we can't resolve what we're becoming. That's why there, a, a great movie came out quite a few years ago called Groundhog Day because we keep doing that to ourselves. We keep recreating the conditions for our own distress and we can't figure out why. But we have to have phrases about it. I did this to myself again. Why did I do this again? Because of conditioned thinking. And it's not even a weakness. It's not, there's not something wrong with us except a lack of understanding of Four Noble Truths. Thank you, David. And here I have the most, the most useful line in all of this until I change the uh, revise this book. Dependent co-arising is also known as dependent origination. So, it is a Buddhist teaching on how personal phenomena arises with the environment of a Nietzsche or impermanence. The entirety of the Dhamma is to bring understanding of the Four Noble Truths. That's a true statement. It is within the context of Four Noble Truths that understanding of dependent origination develops. Understanding dependent origination brings awareness of the relationship between the five clinging aggregates, the ongoing personal experience of stress and suffering, and the phenomenal world, or the world we live in. So the five clinging, understanding five clinging aggregates brings an understanding of my relationship to the world, or my relationship to what I'm using to maintain ignorance. And do you see the brilliance in the Buddhist teaching? Of course I have to understand my relationships to my own thoughts. And it's my relationships to my own thoughts that I project onto the world, and that's where they play out in the world. Now, the world is an arbitrary, an arbitrary canvas to paint my life on. In other words, I don't have any control once I project those occurrences out onto the world. I'm stuck with it. I'm stuck with my views. 
But if I can change my view from a wrong view, a view rooted in ignorance of four noble truths, to a right view, then what I project onto the world and comes back to me through that feedback loop known as dependent origination, now I can start changing my view. I can create reality where there was once ignorance. Where? Within the framework of impermanence, not self, and stress and suffering. I have to put myself where I am if I'm going to get to where I want to be. Does everybody get that? And again, where am I? No matter how distracted I am, no matter how stuck I am in the past determining my future, I'm still only right here and right now. I'm just distracted from that in the, this moment. So the resolution of this moment comes in the resolution of distraction. And where is that resolved? Brett, uh, put you right on the spot. <clears throat> I don't know, return to your breathing and be right here. Jhana, Gold you. star. Distraction is rooted in jhana meditation. That's why the Buddha taught it. No other meditation method. The five clinging aggregates are physical and mental factors that cling together. Again, this is, this is metaphorically or ideally, but just for the sake of our Dhamma, we cling them together. Mental factors that cling together to form a personality identified as self or the ego. Dependent origination explains the 12 causative links that determine the experience of this ego personality. In the Paticca Samuppada Vibhanga Sutta, Vibhanga simply means about, the Buddha presents the 12 causative links of dependent origination. Each of these 12 links are required to cause the self to experience confusion and disappointment, sickness, and sickness, old age, and death, and rebirth into another moment. Not rebirth into another life, rebirth into another moment rooted in ignorance. The Buddha's words. Now listen to these words. This is, there's nothing magical, mystical, or speculative. They're, they're direct, and they teach directly to what we do to ourselves, due to ignorance, that cause all the stress and suffering, all the self-induced stress and suffering, all the confusion, all the discontent in our lives. Leading to this week, weekend's uh, midwinter retreat and our spring retreat, the, the point of this and the resolution this weekend will develop the idea of calm and our spring retreat de develops the idea of profound contentment as the counter to what is described here. From ignorance as a requisite condition, it's required. From ignorance as a requisite condition comes fabrications. And what are fabrications? Fabrications are a corrupted view, a fabricated view, something that's put together. In a, uh, in a, 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 a factory, a foundry, we fabricate something from other things. In a steel factory, we take ore and fabricate steel out of that. We make one thing out of something else. Out of ignorance, we fabricate a self, something else other than what it is. It's a corrupted view of self, rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. And now once we've done that, and notice that this sequence occurs continually, but it also occurs sequentially out of time. In other words, it's not something that as human beings we can recognize the process. We can slow it down enough to see it. But it occurs out for all for the sake for the sake of argument, it occurs out of time. It's it's the the precursor to experience. 
from a fabricated view as a requisite condition comes consciousness. So again, notice the sequence. And again, the Buddha is not describing a human being coming into existence. This human being is already existing. It's stated in the, in the Buddha's description of suffering. From birth. Birth, sickness, aging, and death. The Buddha is saying, you already have a human life. Don't try to figure out where it came from. That's just a distraction. You have it. Because you're here. And the, a characteristic of that human life is a thinking human being. Consciousness. But because of ignorance, you, meaning me, as a Dharma practitioner, I have fabricated a view that is now feeding my consciousness. This wrong view of self. From that fabrication, as a requisite condition, comes consciousness. Ongoing thinking, rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. From that type of consciousness, as a requisite condition, comes name and form. So out of ignorance of four noble truths, I fabricated a view of myself in relation to the form, in, in relation to what's occurring, and now I've identified with it. Name and form, Nama Rupa. I've given a name to this form, and it's rooted in, in an ignorant form of consciousness, an ignorant aspect of consciousness. From name and form, from self-identification to what's occurring in the phenomenal world, as a requisite condition, comes a sixth sense phase. The five physical senses and the sixth sense, now emphasizing it, that sinks that's the sixth sense of consciousness, ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. And so the feedback loop that the Buddha describes in the Gaura Sutta. My mind is rooted in ignorance of four noble truths and it's feeding that consciousness. And that consciousness is taking its interpretation of what's occurring through the sixth sense space that is lodged in that form. What's occurring there? It's a self-defining way of looking at the world. No matter how I see the world now will determine my experience because of that feedback loop. Is that the conditioned thinking? That's that conditioned thinking. In a word, it's conditioned thinking. Conditioned by what? Conditioned by consciousness rooted in ignorance, now preconditioned by the underlying condition. What could only happen to that unless something occurs to interrupt that form of condition, that feedback loop that is now, in, that is now solidified as a motivating factor for that human life? That's what the Eightfold Path is for. That's what understanding is for. That's what dependent origination describes. That single process of how do we get here. So the notion and the, and the, the life, the eternal question of where did I come from? Where am I going? Who made me? Who gets me when I'm gone? Where do I go? What God should I appease to get there? It's all blown out of the water by understanding this because you can see that that's all I was going to say it's nonsense. It's not nonsense. It's worth a thought. But it's not worth our lives. Or it's neat, at least I should say it's not worth living our lives over. Because what we should understand is what is this life about, not what other lives might be about. Pure speculation. What's going on right here and right now? What do I need? What do I most need to know in this moment to make it meaningful? I need to know what's going on. I need to be present for it. It doesn't need to be a moment that's rooted in sliding into a brand new Lamborghini 
or having a wonderful meal or having a great conversation or getting the right person elected or not having any virus in the world or anything else, any other condition or not being tired or not being old or not being too young or not having any hair or whatever it might be because all of those are conditioned. Even the, even the idea that I'm a little bit tired, I wish I was home right now, is a condition I'm placing on my, my contentment in this moment. Even the idea that I wish that bald-headed SOS would shut up for just a minute is a condition I'm putting on this moment. And it takes me away from learning from that brilliant bald-headed guy that's sitting in front of me. weave it in here. Anytime I want this moment or the person who's sitting in front of me to be different than they are, I literally lost my life because I've lost my mind in connection to this moment. So I use that term a lot, losing my mind. And of course, I don't mean it in a... In, in, I just, first time I ever thought, I probably should be careful about using it because there are people who actually do lose their mind, so maybe I will think about it. But in this moment, I'm simply referring to the idea that I've lost connection to what's occurring because of a lack of concentration and giving in to my own conditioned thinking, to allowing that to take place. Again, I'm, I'm, making, I'm emphasizing that point, excuse me, that I'm allowing it to take place. It's up to me. It might seem like it's the world pulling at me, but a word for that that we understand is that's my entanglement with the world, but I've established that. And the Buddha saw that too, and he gave us a way of, of extracting ourselves, disentangling ourselves from the world by understanding this. So now the Buddha says, from that sixth sense base, from, from the coming into contact with the world through an uninformed sixth sense base, now comes that contact. But I'm uninformed. I don't, literally don't know what the hell is coming, coming, I'm coming in contact with. I don't know how to interpret it. Because I don't have a foundation in which to view it in. I don't have any right view. From that contact, as a requisite condition, comes feeling. The most fundamental aspect of human life, isn't it? Feeling. And the next part that I'll get to, and thinking about those feelings. So the most fundamental aspect of human life, feeling, what connects me to, to life, is informed by ignorance. That is itself informed by a, by a fabrication formed by that ignorance and maintained by consciousness, ongoing thinking rooted in that ignorance. And now when I, when I use that feeling to validate my experience, what am I doing? I'm solidifying my own fabrications. I'm solidifying my consciousness. And I'm creating an ever-deepening, an ever-more obscure way of thinking that clouds this initial ignorance. And one thought builds on another thought that builds on another thought. One ignorant thought builds on another ignorant thought. And this may seem almost overwhelming. Well, how the hell am I ever going to get myself out of this one? I bet you Brett knows the answer to this one, too. Do you know? How am I going to get myself out of this one? <laughs> um, well, you just you take your breath in your body and... That's it. Stop there. Two gold stars. It begins with that. And again, I don't mean to be so too simplistic, but I also knew Brett had the answer. It comes back to, in this moment, I recognize I've lost my mind because I'm thinking about the past or the future. 
and I take my breath. That's the beginning. I be mindful of my breath in my body. And then I start incorporating. Remember how we started this? I, I just want to bring this all the way back to the beginning and then back up to where we are. We started this with the method of jhana meditation. We learned how to do it through the four foundations of mindfulness and then how to apply it to four noble truths, to understanding four noble truths. And then we learned how to do that through the Eightfold Path. And now we're, knowing, we're learning specifically how we did this to ourselves. From contact as a requisite condition comes feeling. I'm validating my own conditioned thinking because I'm validating my, condition, my feeling about it. From feeling as a requisite condition comes craving. Now I want more or less of something. From craving as a requisite condition comes clinging and maintaining. Clinging to and then maintaining is an aspect of that ongoing craving that feeds further clinging or further maintaining. I want more. Desire. Unskillful desire. And we're taught in a very, very subtle way, but in an all-pervasive way, that the whole point of life is to get. And to always get. And I, I used to say to get more, but it's not really about getting more because most of our lives, we plan, it, we plan them around getting a lot more of something, but a lot less of other things. And again, we, we create this absurd tension in our mind over completely Im, Im, impermanent, but ultimately insubstantial things. And, I, and I'm classifying ideas as things in, in, in this argument too. They're meaningless. Even the Buddha teaches how meaningless this are by saying that by teaching us the things that we need from 2,600 years ago. He said, every human being needs. We all need these things. We need food, clothing, shelter, and medicine. We need them. But we don't have to be preoccupied for them. Because it's only in very, 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 very rare circumstances that human beings can't get those four things. In fact, if we want to apply the idea of utopia, which we can't, but we will, I'll do it for the sake of argument, every human being could get those things if we got rid of greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. But again, this isn't a salvific dhamma. But as individuals, we can recognize in this moment, I have everything I need. But now I have the most important thing. And Brett pointed it out. I have this present moment. Now I can be present for the food, the clothing, the shelter, and the medicine that I have in my life rather than thinking that it's not enough, that I need more because of conditioned thinking. Because my house isn't big enough or my food isn't enough. Or all the other... And I'm, I'm getting into a little bit of uh, silliness. It's okay to think about that you got enough food for next week. I mean, that's a, that's a reasonable thing. But to get into identifying with the foods that you eat or the type of foods and, or, or the other things, aspects of living in the human life, um, taking self-identification with, with the form of your house, the form of your physical body, the form of your politics, the form of your friends, or the way you feel about the things I just mentioned or another, other infinite things of life. Now you've lost your mind because you've self-identified with these things that are utterly ordinary. 
From craving as a requisite condition comes clinging and maintaining. I self-identified with what I need to be me, this ego personality. Now I have to maintain it. It's not your fault that I have to maintain this thing that I created. The tension that I feel, the stress and suffering that I feel out of my own creation is not your fault. It's not the world's fault. In fact, ultimately, it's not my fault. I just have to recognize that I did it out of ignorance. But I also should recognize the incredible stress and suffering that I'm imposing on myself by carrying around a fabricated self moment by moment. From clinging and maintaining as a requisite condition comes becoming, or further becoming. Becoming what? Excuse me. Further again. Thank you, Brett. Boy, I'm going to run out of gold stars for Brett tonight. <laughs> but that's the whole point. What am I becoming in this moment? Because that's the choice. And that's a limiting factor of the Eightfold Path. Framed by the Eightfold Path, I'm, lit- I'm limited in my ignorance becoming. And I'm building up the opportunity to become awakened. From becoming as a requisite condition comes birth. What am I going to become in this moment? From that birth, as a requisite condition, comes aging, sickness, death, sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair. So again, this is, this is an, important link, an important link. Rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. Through that chain of events, fabrications, consciousness, name and form, feeling, the sixth sense base, contact, uh, craving, contact, clinging and maintaining, now we've given birth. But given birth to what? Not a physical human being. That physical human being is present. I don't need to figure that one out. I'm here. I'm having a human life. What I need to understand is what am I giving birth to in this moment? And when you read dependent origination the way it was presented, it's obvious that's what the Buddha is talking about. He doesn't, he, doesn't, um, he doesn't begin this by saying, let's figure out where we came from. He begins this teaching on saying, from ignorance, as a requisite condition, comes fabrication. And then he leads us to this path of becoming, Rob, mm-hmm. becoming, giving birth to a moment rooted in ignorance. Because of ignorance of Four Noble Truths, we have given birth to a moment that has made us become ignorant. From birth as a requisite, this comes aging, sickness, death, regret, pain, distress, and despair. Then the Buddha describes in slightly more detail and in reverse order each of the twelve links. Now what is aging? So again, nothing is left up for, for speculation. What is aging? What is aging and death? Aging is decrepitude. It's brokenness. It's grain. It's decline, weakening of the faculties. Why is the Buddha pointing that out? Because, again, the Buddha was talking to human beings, just like us, who went through this process. But he noticed, just like us, the distress and the, and the, the distraction of aging. When he's saying, look at it, as a consequence of having a human life, it's going to be like this. There's going to be weakening of the faculties. There is. You should see the way my dog looks at me sometimes. <laughs> Death is the passing away of the aggregates, the ending of time. The ending of time. What about all this speculation that I learned all these years about going into future lives and past lives? Understanding past lives is important. The Buddha says this is the ending of time. This life is the ending of time. This is the interruption. Death is the interruption in the life faculties. 
the only faculties I have in order to understand this. And what is birth? Birth is a descent. The coming forth, the coming to be. Remember where this started. Coming to be what? Ignorant. Birth is the appearance of the six sense base and the five clinging aggregates. What have I given birth to? This six sense base and the aggregates that's associated with that six sense base. I'm the one that's done it. I've given birth to the aggregates, the five clinging aggregates. Nobody else. It's not an accident of birth or an accident of, of genes, genetics, or timing, meaning in history. Does it matter that this is 2022 or 2,600 years ago? The teachings are the same. If I am in discontent in this moment, it's because I'm seeing things from a wrong view. What is becoming? Becoming is sensual becoming, form becoming, and formless becoming. Another so important line from the Buddha. Why? It took me a while, again, to understand this when I first read it. What is this formless? Because I was still caught up in the, the magical, mystical. What is the Buddha pointing to? Is he saying that there's some importance to, to formlessness? And what does it mean? You think of the... Jeez, uh, um, uh, I can't think of it. I really put it out of my mind. The Heart Sutta, Sutra, that, that talks about em- emptiness is form and formlessness is emptiness and all that stuff. And I get caught up in that. It's just pure nonsense as far as what the Buddha taught. The Buddha is saying that giving form becoming, meaning focus on this physical form, what it's going to become, meaning making it different than it is, and also the speculation of formless becoming, who I'm going to be without a form, in a, in a, a life without a physical body. That's what the Buddha is referring to. Any imaginary <laughs> establishment of the self is formless becoming, including in this moment the imagination that I'm the world's greatest meditation teacher. Even though it's obviously true, me believing it is a speculation. I don't know if it's joining. I'm just taking the feedback. But <laughs> The belief in this moment that I'm anything other than simply what I am is formless becoming. But also the belief that i got to become something other than what I am is formless becoming. Because it's just imaginary, no matter what it is. No matter how many people I associate with, my, I associate with that might believe the same things that I believe. Just because I associated with a certain belief that said I was going to go to a Christian heaven for many years, I no longer believe that. And and it might be true. I'm not discounting the fact that I might find myself there. And if I do, I'm probably going to be in trouble. (laughs) But since I don't believe it, I'm not in trouble about it anymore. I'm I'm not discontent of of that. What I am content about is I figured out what it means to be a human being. And I don't care about anything else anymore. I don't care about what I might become. Because I figure that when I get there, I'll know that. If I know what I know now, I guess I'll know what I know then when I get there, if I get there. But look how confusing it is even to think about that. And I don't want to. I take refuge in this moment, in this body, in this life. Let me read this in parentheses part. This is explaining that the belief in itself is reinforced by sensual contact. Again, the, the, just the idea that we have a life reinforces a life, but that, if that life is rooted in ignorance of foreknowledge of truth, if the view is, then we're just reinforcing that view. 
and is proliferated by believing in an individual personality being born, becoming form, and the same individual personality becoming formless at death, but, but, but surviving as the same personality, either in eternal formless state or being reborn in this, as the same soul. And every form of modern Buddhism and every form of spirituality, I think, even the, uh, uh, the more uh, nature-based religions that I got involved with, all, all provide some resolution for the physical form in some other realm, the spirit realm, or, you know, find my spirit animal, all that other things that I really grasp onto because he allowed a substitute for, for my own ignorance of self. And so, of course, I would grasp after a power animal or uh, my establishment with Avalokiteshvara in a future life because I, 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 I loathe this life. This wasn't enough. And so any time a notion of something else seemed reasonable, and it was reasonably because I respected who was selling it to me, I grasped after it. So is it the loathing of the impermanence of this life? Yeah, David just asked, is it, is it loathing of the impermanence? Yes, another important understanding. Because I believe that this, is, this ego personality, is, this fabricated thing is me, and it's not enough, and I've learned, as the Buddha points out, it, it grays, it loses its faculties, and it dies. Holy crap! Excuse the language. But what am, I, what am I upset about? I'm upset over a fabrication of self that's rooted in impermanence. Rather than understanding, I am having a human life, and it's the only thing that I can have. And to have it successfully, I need a, some simple things. Food, clothing, shelter, and medicine. And I can readily get those things. And from that foundation of understanding, I can live my moment-by-moment life and be content. Why? Not because of what I have. Not because I figured out how to live forever in this form or another. Why am I content in this moment? I'm going to try Laura this time. Why am I content in this moment? And again, I don't mean to put you on the spot. And you don't have to answer if you don't want. Because you're living life as life occurs? Yes. And I, I can live my... Laura says because I'm living life as life occurs. And think about that. Think about living your life moment by moment as it occurs. And what would be the underlying characteristic or requirement for that? Understanding what's occurring. In any moment, if you if you if you don't understand how to drive your car, and all, all of a sudden you find yourself behind the wheel, you're not going to be living your life as your life occurs, would you? But if you understand it, you'll simply do it. If you understand how to live your life, you'll simply do it, and the Buddha figured it out. Yeah, well, Lord's simply describing it as just reality. It's just reality. Again, when, I, when you hear me say it, it's simple and direct, it is just that. It's because we are so distracted from reality, because of our preoccupation with dukkha, that we simply can't see what's, what's in front of us. And isn't that remarkable? That human beings can't live their own lives. Or maybe a better way to say it, can't be present. That it's not something we do naturally or inherently. And there, there may be. There may be people that inherently do that. I'm thinking of uh, Jiddu Krishnamurti now, 
Um, and, and now that I say it, there are people, because Krishnamurti knew how to do this, because in his writings you can hear or understand it. What he was lacking, and we got into, um, and it wasn't, we got into a talk Thursday about the, the, the old, the ancient philosophers, the Greek philosophers who had a certain understanding. But none of them, and Krishnamurti I'll include in that, understood how to do it, how, how they could teach other human beings how to do it. And this is what sets Siddhartha Gautam apart from everybody else who may have understood this. He understood how to teach others how to do it. And that's what we're doing as Dharma practitioners. That's what he's doing here. The links of clinging, craving, feeling, contact, the sixth sense base in name and form, consciousness and fabrications are all part of the process of a self arising from ignorance. This process is maintained and continued by ignorance, furthering karma. The Buddha then describes how clinging to the notion of self maintains this feedback loop of senses, establishing a self and maintaining the cycle of birth, death, and rebirth. And what is clinging and maintaining? There are four types of clinging. Clinging to sensual stimulus, sorry. Clinging to views or conditioned thinking. Clinging to, to precepts and practices. And clinging to a doctrine of self. I'm going to stop there because you've all read this. Let me Clinging to a doctrine of self. So that is ultimately where we begin and end our, our Dhamma practice, isn't it? Because it is clinging to a doctrine of self that is rooted in ignorance. It is clinging to a doctrine of self that is rooted in every thought that that person has. And it is clinging to a doctrine of self that is ultimately abandoned through Dhamma practice. And it is, it, is, it is in each and every word that arises that reflects that. When we can calm our minds enough through jhana meditation and employ the framework and guidance of the Eightfold Path, we learned that in the last three weeks, we can recognize this process that is ongoing. This 12 link process of dependent origination that determines what we're going to become in this moment whether awakened or in a moment inclined towards awakening or a mind that is inclined towards continuing further ignorance. I choose awakening and you all have too or you wouldn't be here. So that's tonight's talk. Let's go, uh, go online. Um, trying to remember who came on first. I can't remember. So I'll start with Brian. Brian, how are you? Uh, good, John. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I guess I just keep focusing on the the three marks, and for me, that that awareness that all this suffering that I quote unquote am feeling that it's just not real. It's 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 this fictitious entity that's experiencing impermanence and you know, experiencing these feelings that that when you step back and you where I, I realize what's going on, it's like, well, that, that's not really happening. That's just, that's a view that that's yeah. not real. And it just, the power of that, that moment just kind of deflates. Yeah. It just gets easier and easier and easier over time to, and you just, you, there's, there's less and less attraction to the stimulus to begin with. And it just becomes a snowball the other way, I guess, mm-hmm. instead of the self, the self feedback loop, you, you see the 
the illusion of it, right? It just diminishes the the grip, so to speak. So yeah, yeah. It, the whole thing is just amazing. Yeah, I agree. And, and think about what you're what you're describing, Brian. Is you're describing your reaction and distraction to what's occurring. And so, of right. course, once you recognize it and stop reinforcing the reaction, it simply diminishes. And it's just that way. It's it's immediate stress reduction in that way, isn't it? Absolutely. Thank you, Brian. Hello, Jeff. Good to see you tonight. Hello, John. Good are, to see you, too. How are things out there in North Dakota? Uh, cold and windy, so it's a normal day. Yeah. <laughs> You guys have been experiencing a little of that too, I understand. Yeah, we got it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't have a lot to, to say. I, I uh, uh, have uh, kind of recovered a little bit from my health issues and uh, been able to reestablish some sort of useful jhana practice, which has uh, kind of been the essential thing for me to concentrate on. Uh, I can intellectualize all day long about a lot of this, but without the jhana practice, I was finding I was uh, just kind of spinning my wheels. So uh, that's been my focus lately. I finally feel like I'm back on track with the, that practice. Yeah. Uh, Thank you, Jeff. Can I talk a little bit about that if I if I can put you on the spot? Um, because yeah, it's sure. a common occurrence that when we're not feeling well, it's a little bit more difficult to practice, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. In, in spite of the, the the intellectual ability to say that this is this is a distraction, it's hard to ignore something poking you with a sharp stick. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's just difficult. And you did the best you could, correct? What's that? You did the best you could. Oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right effort. That's, the yeah. only, that's what I'm pointing out to everyone here. You know, it's a common occurrence when we're not feeling well to, that that Dhamma practice might fall aside a little bit, but we just keep doing the best we can. So yeah. thank you for well, it gave me gave me lots of time. I listened to, to all your posted uh, talks and uh, and gave me time to catch up on a lot of that. So I was able to 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 still maintain some sort of practice there. It was the the concentration that was difficult to maintain. Yeah, yeah. Right. Thank you, Jeff. Hello, Kevin. Hey, John. How are you? Good. How you doing? Doing well. Doing well. Uh, thanks for teaching this the only way, uh, you know, the only as you only can. I guess is how I'm trying to say it. So, thank you. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but I'll take it as a compliment. And thank you for finding my glasses. Hello, Michael. Michael was the first one on tonight. I should have went to him first. Hello, Michael. Hi, John. Uh, I enjoyed that uh, very thorough explanation of dependent origination. Uh, We can't go over this enough times. It's so uh, integral to everything we do, every moment of our life, to recognize when it's occurring, uh, and and then to that recognition and in wise restraint at that point of contact. Uh, the way I look at dependence uh, origination in my own life, uh, uh, or that which could lead to dependence origination, uh, I just, every moment where I'm reacting to something that 
I either like or I dislike, okay, could be a cause for a moment to continue on in my ignorance. So uh, I think recognition is a, is a huge factor in the present moment in putting, uh, uh, underst- understanding how to put an end to dependent origination and freeing ourselves from, the, you know, the ties that bind, so to say, and that would be ignorance. So for me, in the moment, uh, it's thoughts, words, actions, deeds, um, whatever it is, it's also, again, uh, as life occurs, as life occurs to me, uh, I have the choice to accept what is occurring, whether it's good or bad. Yeah. Uh, and there's a, there's a lesson for, for me to learn there. And if, if I'm suffering in that moment, it's because I'm not accepting life as life is occurring or people or events to be different than what they, they are. So that's the way I kind of try to ground myself. And that's the way I perceive uh, uh, the pen's origination. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. That's the right way to perceive it. You had a, an important sentence there that, that you accept things whether they're good or bad because exactly. th- this is mm-hmm. a practice of radical acceptance. It doesn't matter whether things are good or bad. And if I keep looking at that, then I'm always grasping after the good and chasing away the bad. Life is both of those things, isn't it? Thank you, Michael. Hello, Julia. Hello, John. Um, Thank you very much for this teaching. Um, I'm always amazed when when we start reading about the uh, dependent origination because that's such such an important uh, lesson um, the Buddha teaches us. And I'm amazed that the Buddha actually came to all these little steps and actually realized how this was like the psychological, uh, you know, the ego self, this, yeah. the psychological undoing of, of, you know, of ourselves and, get, you know, and how we um, attach ourselves to the phenomenal world and try to identify with everything around us, making ourselves a permanent being. Yeah. But um, there's two things that you that um, that. Well, I like everything that you wrote, but um, there's two things that actually I find very helpful. One thing that you uh, wrote, you said, profound understanding of any one of these links begins to unravel the entire causative chain. And then also seeing the process clearly depersonalizes the life experience. I I can't say any more than that. I mean, those two things right there, this whole process, actually understanding it, it does help with with experiencing life. Yeah. Um, I, I, I find for myself when a lot of times uh, a feeling will arise. And as Michael said, either positive or negative, um, especially negative, you notice it mostly, you know. Yeah. Uh, usually when it's pop, you, you, you're just going along with it, not realizing it. But lately I've been catching myself more. But when a feeling arises, I usually notice it and I'm able to just pull myself back for, for a brief moment and say, okay, well, why am I feeling like this? And next thing you know, I'm going through, you know, understanding this process and I'm able to like, become a witness yeah. almost to my actions and stop myself briefly. And if not, Michael will remind me. As life occurs and I was like, yeah, you're right. So, but um, that, that helps. It helps a lot to stop the process yeah. and to actually recognize what we're, what we're doing to ourselves. That's yeah. That, stopping the process is Dharma practice. You know, at the point that's wise restraint. Yep. Right? Yeah. It's, that's wise restraint. It's just that way. You know? Mm-hmm. I, I, it's just a good example of how, how a, a well informed, well focused sangha works is what Julia just said. Because she's describing it in wonderful detail. 
dollar practice at the point of contact. And that's the only place it can be practiced, can it? It has to be right here and right now. Thank yes. you, Julia. Thank you, John. Good evening, Jane. Hi, John. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good, good. Um, I, too, appreciate the way you teach dependent origination. Um, I look at dependent origination as like a, a play-by-play of how I got to be a stressed mess. <laughs> I love it. And, and, but I was ignorant. In my defense, I didn't know better. So, but now I'm not ignorant anymore. I know there's a, I don't need to be that. I Now I have a path, and so there's no need for me to be that stress mess anymore. I love it. We got we to gotta find something to rhyme with calm. Calm. <laughs> so thank you. Bomb. Got calm bomb. Yeah, that's good. Apply there you go. Now we're calm bomb. <laughs> thank you, Jane. <laughs> My calm bomb, Brett. How are you? Good. Good. This is good. I'm going to I'm gonna change the whole everything. It's got <laughs> calm bomb meditation. I'm sorry, Brett. Hey, uh, good to be here. Uh, good to, um, great teaching. Um, a lot of laughs. Um, kind of just to echo what Julia said and, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, practice, practice, you know, the Dhamma at the point of contact and wise restraint, you know, like, how, how can I, how can, <clears throat> sometimes I wonder, oh, you get stressed out and you go, well, how am I going to, how am I going to be able to figure this out or how am I going to get through tomorrow or whatever? Yeah. And that's, you just have to return to the to the Dharma. That's like, that's the only way. Yeah. And so, uh, how you get, you know, mm-hmm. so that's it. So the point of contact and, you know, wise restraint and every, you know, all the eightfold path and you know, that's how you can grow. So good to be here. Yeah, thank you, Brett. That's just this is how we apply the Dhamma. There's nothing out there. Laura, how are you tonight? Good. I'm having did you get a great some, time. You got some clarity on <laughs> dependent origination? I I did not expect it to be this um lively, so this is great. <laughs> no, but it's strange, like you point out how um unnatural um it is this process of conditioned thinking yeah. and how stressful it is, yet I do find myself sometimes clinging to it or like craving. It's just very strange, you know. So yeah. it's really helpful to hear what you said and to what the others said as well. How we can, like Julia was saying, like beautifully, she explained that well. How we can, yeah. you know, um, unbind and untangle and uh, be at peace with ourselves. And so just taking in everything. And thank you for the teaching tonight. Thank you, Laura. Ram, Dhamma teacher Ram. I did not acknowledge Dhamma teacher Kevin. He, we called on him, but I didn't. I didn't give him the appellate. Well, I, it, if you're not if you're not here in the center, you can't be called Dhamma teacher. That's oh. all there is. To <laughs> That's <laughs> Dhamma teacher Ram. Thank you, Dhamma teacher Kevin. <laughs> yeah. The the ability to just take one <clears throat> of the pairs. In, in uh, all of the dependent origination, no matter where where in dependent origination you are, uh, but to take just one of them apart, or to just actually see the connection between uh, these those two in yourself, that's 
that's the beginning of the unraveling. Yeah. That again, there, there's where where Dharma practice is is there where the Dharma is practiced is is finding those connections and yeah. and abandoning them, yeah? abandoning the the origination, the clinging. Do you again put you on the spot? Are there two um, two links that you find consistently more significant to you? And it might not be. It may just yeah. be. A, it may be situational. <clears throat> it is situational. I remember. Um, feeling. Um, being being a, a, a central point. Um, once you see the connection between yeah. feelings and uh, and the sixth sense base. And how that feeds through to yep. to a flinging, uh, those were for for me really uh, uh, insightful. That was like uh, th- those were light bulb moments. Uh, yeah, that, I think, you know, it, it's uh, and I'm at home at the moment. I'm just in the middle of this this storm of conflicting feelings that are going on between members of my household. Yeah. Um, and How do you feel about that? Oh, I feel just wonderful because I put on my headphones and it all goes away. Avoid. There might be aversion here. Oh. Yeah, there's a little aversion. But um, sometimes it's all we can do. It's um, it's good to see. You know, it, it's always when when you when you see those things happening in other people yeah. that. Uh, that it becomes a little clearer, uh, but it doesn't really work until you see that that same stuff in yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but when you can see it in yourself and in others, then you realize the absurdity of, of all of it, including getting upset over it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, know, you just see people getting caught up in the world, and since we have, <clears throat> you know, we understand it. You know? I mean, that is the, the big difference. That It's just that basic thing. That when I... Every now and then I get a call from some, there's not many of us left, but a, a left family member in distress. And most of it is just, we talked about it coming down to me and David too. There's nothing I can do and, and not take it personal, but just let them talk. Mm-hmm. You know? And if there is something I can do, I'll do it. But most of it is just that, right? recognizing mm-hmm. that this is Sometimes what caught up in. Sometimes you can throw in just a little snippet and say, you know, try this. Yeah, I, but when it's a, somebody you've known your whole life, usually you've said that a thousand times too. So, <laughs> so it's just, yes. yeah, okay, you know. I say this, you've heard me say this often to you. I find myself saying it to, uh, we used to use the term earth people, to non-dollar practitioners. I tell them, be gentle with themselves. Usually that works. Sometimes people say, what do you mean? Can you see what's going on? How can I be gentle with myself? Said, okay, well, then go beat yourself up and see if that helps you out. <laughs> Thank you, Ron. I didn't mean that like that. It's not very snide. It's always a good thing, you know, to just uh, to recognize what you're doing and when you're describing your the way you are with your family. You're being gentle with them. You're not feeding into the mm-hmm. into the, the, the discontent, you know. And sometimes that's all we can do is stay out of it. And, and that's always for me the the um, the motivation in in opening my mouth is, am I going to be feeding more of this or yeah. can I actually diffuse something here? And yeah. If I can't actually diffuse something, I'm, you know, 
figure it out, guys. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, they, I can't. I can't help you with this. Yeah, that's always, almost always the case. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I like to think that I could solve any problem out there. And I tried so hard and made myself crazy and everybody mm-hmm. else crazy, and then I'm like, no, I don't need to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm much more peaceful but so are other people yeah you know and again it it gets back into that salvific mentality I'm here to fix something or save something no I'm not if I'm here to do anything it's to promote peace within my own mind and then I can naturally offer it to the world that's it yeah you know but but yeah and and a lot of the conflict that that I see in front of me comes from people trying to fix other people yeah or trying to fix look at it look look, look out in the world world that's what the Buddha was describing you know, literally, mm-hmm. when he looked out on the world, said the world is a flame. A flame with what? The fire is a passion. Passion is the need for something to be different. Mm-hmm. Usually, other people, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a teacher, David. Well, John, it, you know what you're describing over and over again. Each one who has spoken is it's the difference between the instructed and the uninstructed. Yeah. And the calm and contentment of approaching life's difficulties it just prepares you in a way where you listen better you you see better you you don't need to solve the problem and like you said sometimes you just need to listen and right there there's no stress at that moment so that's what I see you ask around with the most important link and maybe it's simplistic it's it's I always see the ignorance you know all I I think I said it many times ago all I've ever wanted to do is understand so thank you yeah thank you (coughs) really what you're this putting words in your mouth, the significant aspect of dependent origination that you were really describing was one step before Ram's, was Nama Rupa and self-identification. That leads to, leads to feeling. And all of that, again, coming back to ignorance of Four Noble Truths. Simple, isn't it? Thank you. Dharma, teacher Matt. John, excellent class. Thank you for the teaching. Um, Julia said something that, that made me think, and and it was in, and this is, a, I think, a very subtle part of the Dhamma, of Dhamma practice anyway. Um, and when I say Dhamma practice, I mean practicing restraint. Um, and Julia said something about when I have good feelings, I just go along with the good feelings because they're good feelings. And when I have feelings that aren't good, then I go, oh, I, uh, there's, there's something that I can work with there. Uh-huh. Well, can we practice restraint when feeling arises that is good? Can I say, this is not me, this is not mine, this is yeah. not what I am? This is permanent. Yeah. Do it because now. it's impermanent. And, yeah. and mm-hmm. th- it's yeah. this, this, if I don't do that, then I'm becoming further ignorant, we know that, but I, I'm also clinging and maintaining the, the, the exalted form that is feeling great all uh-huh. the time, gotta have it. Mm-hmm. 
I, 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 that's that's the, the addiction to having my life. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. It, 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 thank you, Matt. And that's why recognizing calm is so important too. Because when we recognize calm as what we're chasing, we'll stop chasing the brand new Lamborghini or the, you know, the, whatever else it might be. You know, or maybe but, just a car that yeah, runs. I used but to. as soon as <laughs> even the distinction in your mind comes up, good or bad, yeah, you're, that's when you say, this is not mine. Yeah. It, it's the distinction yeah. that you're making. That's, that's yeah. the... Talking about dependent origination, the, the here is the here's the origination. You're 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 splitting it in good and bad. Here is yep. greed and aversion. Boom. Here it it's is. There. Yep. There's there's and, the big bang. And do I want to lose my mind over it, my life over it, or not? And so then, each and every moment, as Matt is describing, is just meaningful, because I don't need it to be any. I don't need more. I don't need less. But what I do need is right here and right now. I need to be present for it. If I'm going to have a life that is content, I have to be present for it. And Siddhartha G figured out a way to do it. Good old Uncle Sid. So that's today's class. Uh, we're going to continue um, with the second half of this week after our retreat uh, on the five clinging aggregates. I hope you're all joining us on our uh, Posada retreat. Um, it's going to start at 7 o'clock on Friday, so there won't be a Saturday morning class, but we will have three classes on Saturday. The schedule is on the website. Um, those that can join us here, please do so. Uh, we'll go out uh, for lunch and dinner as a sangha on Saturday. Uh, and it's, it's going to be a wonderful time. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll finish as we always do It'll with. Good. <laughs> What's that? It'll be good. Yeah. As opposed to a bad time. <laughs> I don't want to have any more bad times. The bad. It's bad to have bad times. I think I really did lose my mind. <laughs> All right, stop being silly. Good dog, bad dog. Yeah. The Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is stilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. May all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. 
Thank you all for a wonderful class tonight. Thank you, John. Thank you. Peace. Thank you. Thank you, John. See you all Thanks, soon. Thanks. Thank you, John. Good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.